Today, I'm really excited. Last week, we started a series called Living in the Last Days. And we showed last week how precise, how specific Bible prophecy is. And we actually saw the date that the last days started. We saw the end time started. And we were talking about Daniel's 70th week prophecy. 483 of those years have already went by. And then the church age started. So everything has been turned over to the Gentiles. And now, but the church age is about to end at the rapture of the church. And there will be that 70th week of years, seven more years that will come upon the earth. It's a time of great wrath. And we're about to enter that. Thank God we're going to talk today about the rapture of the church. Um, Because the seven-year tribulation, when there will be a world leader, and when, when it will be such a, there will be so much going on in this earth. You know, there's plagues that take out a quarter of the population. You know, one plague. We talked about it last week. Could you imagine one thing happening and all of a sudden two billion people are dead on the earth? The magnitude of how much that would take to even even cremate those bodies, right? Then we see a little bit later on another, uh, a third of the earth, which would be another two billion people are killed in, in, in we have, you know, you know um, NASA has even found that there is a meteor heading for the earth, that they're very concerned that it could hit the earth in about 2028 or 29. There's some things described in the Bible that would make you, that would, could, could result from a meteor hitting the earth. So there's all kinds of signs in the heavens, signs on the earth. There will emerge a world leader. Uh, we, he's called the son of perdition. He's called the Assyrian. He's called the Antichrist. And, and everything, the stage is set for a, a global economy, a one world leader. Uh, all the technology for the mark of the beast is already in place. Everything is set up for this period. And I'm here to comfort you today with a teaching on end times. We won't be here. Our God loves us so much that he will take us out before this period starts. So I want to start talking about this today. Let's believe God for utterance. Hallelujah. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 17. Now this is Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. So this was written after Jesus rose from the dead and went to heaven. Now Paul... He's, he's, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is given this letter for the Thessalonican church. And he says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Actually, let's, um, let's go to verse 13. Let's start in verse 13. Paul says this, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning them which are asleep. Though that, that's talking about people that have already died went to heaven, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. You know, when you and I lose a loved one, like my mom passed away about a year and a half ago. Well, she didn't actually, let me say that right. She didn't really pass away. She just departed, right? The earth is like a big airport. There's arrivals, right? Emily and Philip just had an arrival not long ago. Lucy and Alex, they just had an arrival a couple days ago, right? Can't wait to meet that little one. But, you know, so there's arrivals, but then there's departures when people are going, right? So we don't, when my mom departed from the earth, man, you know, I, I miss her. And, and when you start missing her, you see your humanity because you start, oh, you start getting sad. But then you flip over and you think about what she's experiencing right now. And, you know, right now, wow, she's walking in all the fullness of it. And, and so we don't mourn like we have no hope, like we're never going to see them again, right? It says this, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that, don't we? Amen. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, 
that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. It says this, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. What that means is, wherever their bodies are, now think about that. Everybody who is born again, whether they receive Christ after he was resurrected while they were alive or whether they were the righteous dead in Abraham's bosom and they now are in heaven, their bodies, God will get their body all from dust. He's going to bring it all together and their body, they're going to come from heaven with Jesus and their body, their glorified body will meet them. Now they're in heaven right now and they're, they're not in their glorified body, but a spirit, if you were to see my spirit, it looks like me, right? The only, the only thing different is it doesn't look like me now. My earth suit has been living under the curse for 58 years. So if you, took, if you got, got a picture of me when I was maybe 28, 30, 32 years old, then you'd know what my spirit looks like, right? First thing you're all going to say to me in heaven is, wow, pastor, you look good right? Teresa will finally stop teasing me about being older. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But this is what it's talking about here. It says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. This is the Greek word harpazo, which means to snatch away and to catch up. Then we which are alive shall be caught up together with them, where? In the clouds. See, the second coming of Jesus has two parts. This is part one, where Jesus, he comes for the church in the clouds. We meet him in the clouds. We are snatched away and we're with him, right? In other words, we're carried away away with him. It says in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it says this, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So now if you look at, if you look at a Galilean wedding ceremony, so much of what Paul was writing here these people would have understood the Galilean wedding ceremony. So here's a picture of this caught up, right? So when a woman is going to be betrothed to a man, what would happen is the father of the groom-to-be would come with his son, and he would have a document, and, and the, the father of the daughter would come, and they would come together, And they would read this document about all that it would mean, uh, all that would be entitled to this woman who is about to decide and commit to this wedding. And so they would, after all of it, the the groom-to-be would have a goblet of wine and would hold it out to the woman after all of it was read. This is at, at, the merit, at the Last Supper when Jesus said, take this cup. This represents, see, all of those disciples would have been like, oh, wow, he's talking about a Galilean wedding. Because what would happen is he would hold the cup out to her. And if she would reach out and take the cup and drink it, it was sealed. It was sealed. She accepted and received him. So then what would happen, it was great joy, but then the groom-to-be or the the daughter would go back with her family and live with them and the groom would leave. The groom-to-be would leave with his father and he would go away. Where would he go? She wouldn't see him for probably a year. Forget pre-marriage counseling. Right? Out the window. You're not even, they, they, they could zoom it, but they didn't have that technology back then, right? 
But she would, he, he would go to his father's house and what would he do? He would start preparing a place for her so that where he is, there she would be with him, right? So, and he would build this, this room onto the house and he never knew when he was, if this, is, this is the only region in Israel that was like this. Every other, every other area of Israel, they knew the wedding date, but the Galilean wedding, only the father knew the date. And so he would build this room and everything. And then at some point, the father would come to his son and say, okay, it passes. It's, it's, it's good. Go get your bride. Well, this is, this is what we're talking about today. So, I mean, this is really cool. So then it was just a, a great time. And so they would go to the daughter's house where she was, right? Living with her family. And they would blow a shofar. And so the bride would have to be ready. And she would run out. And what would happen is they had this, like a chair with, that you could carry, that people could carry. And she would come out. She'd be so excited because it was her wedding day. And she would come out and she would see her groom. And then she would sit in this chair and they would lift her up. And it was called the carrying away of the bride. And they would carry her, literally, to her her groom's father's house and they would have a feast and they would invite everybody to this feast. It was called the marriage supper. It was a big party. And that's what's going to happen to us. When we are raptured, we're going to see Jesus. When we see Jesus, that will be the Bema seat. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And, and our sin, we're not going to be judged for our sin but we're going to, what we did with the gifts that God's given us, that will all be judged. Our works will be judged. And then we will go from there into a seven year party called the marriage supper of the lamb. God knows how to party big time, right? I think that's probably one of the reasons why he picked the Jewish people because they know how to party. And so while we're up in heaven experiencing the presence of God and experiencing God in this celebration for seven years on the earth, they are going to be experiencing the wrath of the lamb for seven years. So, and this is, but we're out of here. So let's keep going with this. Another scripture that talks about this, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 50. It's very important you know this. I hope this ignites a fire in you. Because guys, this is the next major prophetic event that is going to happen. The next major event prophetically in your life is the rapture of the church. You and I are about to see our king face to face. And when you... That, that should excite you and comfort you. It should also cause you to accelerate, get over yourself, because you should look at everybody that you know that does not know him, and you need to tell them. Because, man, we want them all at this party. I don't want anybody going through the tribulation period, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 50. So now, this is Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. And then he says this, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means to die physically. But we shall, look at this, all be changed. Some people believe that only those Christians that are really serving God, 
and are really on fire for the Lord that are looking for his coming, only those will go. And, and I, you know, there's some people that I greatly respect, ministers that teach that, but there are several reasons, and this is one of the big one. It says we all shall be changed. Every person who is born again. Now, next week, next Sunday, I want to talk about how to get ready for the end. I'd, I wish I could do it today because next Friday, between next Friday at 10 o'clock our time to 10 o'clock Sunday is the Feast of Trumpets. We'll talk about that today. It's Rosh Hashanah. There are several names of this. We'll hopefully, we'll be able to go into that today. I believe there's a really good possibility that the rapture of the church will happen on that feast day because these are God's timetables, appointed times. And so if it does, I just say you'll have to just be led by the Spirit to get ready this week. <laughs> Jeanette and I, every week or every year at Rosh Hashanah, we are always, okay, Lord, it starts at 6 o'clock in Jerusalem, which is 10 o'clock in Omaha. So we're like, okay, Lord, if this is the year, we are looking for your coming. We are going to get that crown for those that look. So we're looking. I don't know that there's ever been a year. Every year we get closer. I'm like, I'm looking at everything that's happening, and I'm thinking, you know, I think we're a few years away but then with all this stuff happening, wow. So could the rapture happen between, now we wouldn't know the day or the hour because it's a floating holiday. It, it lasts for two days. And uh, could it happen this coming weekend? Absolutely could. Actually, there's nothing else that needs to be fulfilled, right? Will it? I don't know. I don't know. But be ready. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment will be changed in a moment. This is the Greek word atomos. Atomos in the Greek means an indivisible amount of time. You can't, this, this amount of time is so small, you cannot divide it. So in other words, man, what a way to go. I mean, you'll be just walking down the street and then you'll be in the air and Jesus... I think all of us will go, oh, Jesus, thank you. Get me out of this place, right? Do you ever find yourself saying what Jesus said? How much longer do I have to be with you guys? Or as most of us, you know, right? Wow. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, and we'll talk about the last trump, because see, in the Feast of Trumpets, there were nine different sessions where a priest would blow a shofar 11 times, 99 times. But then the last trump would be blown. And it would be blown longer and louder than the other 99. And that's what it's talking about here, the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. So their bodies that were corrupted will be made incorruptible, glorified bodies. We shall be changed. Talking about us who are alive, my body will be changed. I love God's weight loss program. You go from this to six pack, in shape, can totally do a gorilla dunk again. Man, I can't wait to dunk a basketball again. Be awesome. And we shall be changed, it says, for this corruptible, the dead in Christ, must put on incorruption, and this mortal, those living on the earth in Christ, must put on immortality. Does that make sense? Simple, isn't it, when you kind of go through it? So now let's go, let's look at what Jesus said about this time, about the rapture of the church. Go to Luke chapter 17, verse 24. And I would encourage you to write these scriptures down, listen to this, get excited about this. Because we're living in a time where people will scoff and mock at this, but it's exactly what Jesus said. Because see guys, as we said last week, before this day comes, there will come a falling away and we've been in the apostasy. We've been in the falling away. 
You can't tell a Christian from somebody who's not a Christian. There's some scriptures that lead me to believe, and actually, it's really kind of amazing, and we might talk about it next week, where it talks about one will be taken, one will be left. There's a good chance about 50% of people that go to church are not born again. And then George Barna just did a study on this and confirmed this. It's scary, the, the overlying philosophy of Christians in the church that think, well, I'm a Christian because I'm a good person. No, no, being good doesn't get you there. You got to be born again, right? So, so this is, we live in a, we're living in a time of great self-deception. So this is why we preach the word of God and we preach it dripping with the love of God because God's word is life-giving. God wants everybody to be saved. So let's look at Jesus here. Jesus speaking, Luke chapter 17, verse 24. It says, For as the lightning that lighteth out of one part under heaven shines unto the other part under heaven, this is talking about the rapture of the church that will happen privately in the sky. So shall the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation, which Jesus did, right? He suffered many things. He, he suffered everything while he was here on this earth. And as it was in the days of Noah, so now Jesus is going to start to tell us, and this is huge, he's going to start to tell us when the rapture of the church comes, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day. Notice, didn't say a season. It says a single day. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In other words, the rapture, Jesus is saying, the rapture of the church is going to happen in a day like Noah's day. They were just living their life, doing their thing, full schedule. And instantly, in one day, it all happened. I mean, there's going to come a day. See, this is why I don't believe that this day is at the end of the tribulation period. Because people are not just going to be eating and drinking and getting married. No, I mean, have you read the book of Revelation? I would encourage you, go on our website. I did a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Revelation. Took 28 weeks and broke it down. Wow. All, I mean, God's wrath is being poured out on the earth. Satan's wrath is being poured out on people on, on, on coming against the church and this world control. Listen, life in the tribulation period is not going to be just normal, right? But in the day of the rapture of the church, it's going to be just like Noah. People are going to be eating, drinking, doing their own thing, full schedules, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, the church is taken out and now judgment, everyone. See, we are taken out. It's like Noah's, Noah and his family were, were lifted in that boat. They were taken out. And, and judgment came. And everybody else, it, the, the term in the Bible was, everybody else is locked in to judgment. Now, the cool thing about the tribulation is people can still be saved. They're, they're still, the Holy Spirit's here. The 144,000 are going to be Jewish evangelists will be saved and they'll start evangelizing the earth. There will be two super witnesses that come in the second half. In the second half of the tribulation, angels will be preaching the gospel. People will be able to be saved. But in the church age, Jesus said, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. But in, but in the tribulation period, the Bible says that power is given to the Antichrist to prevail against the saints. It doesn't say the church. 
church age is over, but they are our brothers and sisters. And it talks about many will be martyred, beheaded and everything for their faith. But we'll be taken out before as in the days of Noah, pre-wrath, pre-judgment. So now let's look verse 28. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. So the rapture of the church is going to happen the way it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day, look at how precise the wording is. A single day, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So they were living their life as normal, not even thinking about God, not even conscious of anything, actually maybe even mocking it as they go throughout their day. But then in a day, a single day, Lot was taken out. The angels told Lot, we can't, Judgment, we cannot judge this city until you're taken out. And Jesus is saying, this is the way it's going to be. This is one of the big reasons why I believe in a pre-trib rapture. The angel told Lot that they could not judge this place until you guys are safely gone out of this place. Again, pre-wrath, pre-judgment. So let's keep going. Verse 30. So now, look at what he says now. Even thus shall it be in the day. Again, a single day. Do you see that? When the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him, what? Likewise, not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Remember, she turned back, right? Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome to live your life? I'm a walking dead person. I've lost my life. And I love it because I found my life. But there's so many that won't give their heart to Christ because they're hanging on to their life and they'll lose it. That's why we're here, guys. We're here to be the mouthpiece of God, to be the hands, to love the unlovable, to love people that despitefully use us, to draw from the anointing of God, to be led by the Spirit of God, to pray for open doors of utterance, we are here to literally help people lose their life so that they can find it. It says here, verse 34, I tell you, in that night, now look at this, there, it says, there shall be two men in one bed. The word men, if you look at the King James Version, is in italics because it's not in the original manuscripts. It was added by the translators to try to add clarity to the meaning. It should read this way. There shall be two in one bed. One shall be taken. And this Greek word taken is real interesting. It's the Greek word para lambano. It means one will be taken. One will be, to receive, one will be received to oneself. One will be left. Jesus will receive the other one to himself in the rapture right? Two women, women, women is not in the original manuscript, so it should just read, two shall be grinding together, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Now, this is giving you a picture of, of two people, they're in the same community but one's taken and one is left. It's really, really interesting because I, I, I believe that he's talking about people in church. There's going to be people in church that think they're Christians, but they're not. They've never given their heart to Christ. 
They live their own life. They're their own Lord. And we're going to talk about this a lot next week because you want to make sure that Jesus is your Lord because you don't want to go through the tribulation period. And what do you have to do to be raptured? You must be born again. You got to be born into the family of God. It's not by your works. Thank God we'd all be messed up, right? Right? It's by, it's by faith in Christ. It says here, verse 36, two men, again, it's just two, shall be in the field. One shall be taken, again, paralambano. One shall be received near, received to oneself, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, where, Lord? In other words, where are they going to be taken? So look at what Jesus says. Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Eagles. Where do they gather together? In the sky. You guys were just in Minnesota. I bet you saw some eagles. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing like we used to have men's retreats in this cabin in Minnesota, Park Rapids, Minnesota, on this spring-fed lake. And there's nothing like worshiping God outside and you look down or you look, you're looking over here and there's an eagle flying, a bald eagle. You're like, wow, that is really cool. Now you get yourself in trouble when the eagle is coming down and grabs this big fish out of the water and you tell your wife, oh, honey, look. And your massive hand blocks her so she can't see it. She's like, great, thank you, right? So this event happens in the sky. This is talking about the rapture of the church. In other words, Jesus links the rapture with the day Noah entered the ark and the day Lot and his family were taken out of Sodom. It cannot be talking about the second coming because there's no chaos. It says people are just going to be living their normal life, kind of like they are today. So now, let's jump over to John's gospel. John's gospel. So it says this, John chapter 14, verse 1. It says, let not, don't allow, in other words, your heart to be troubled. Don't let your heart be stirred or agitated. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So now this has a dual meaning as we know. This is talking about the secret place of worship. Jesus went to the cross to prepare a place for us to go and be with him in worship. But this is also talking prophetically. He is in heaven right now preparing a place for you and I. And he's going to come back and receive us, paralambano us to himself. Right? So why? Why is there a rapture of the church? The two prominent reasons are this. Number one is to unite us with Jesus to be married to him and to be with him forever. That's the number one reason. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are the bride of Christ. The second reason is to deliver us from the wrath that is coming upon the earth in the tribulation. That's the reason. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 6 to you, verse 15. Revelation, gosh, you guys are so serious looking right now. You guys doing okay? This is a comfort. You won't be here. If you're sitting here today going, I need to receive Christ, great. We're going to give you a chance to do that. Right? Maybe we could have a run to the altar service. No, no. You could receive him right where you are. God loves you. It's all a done deal. But it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Online, same thing. Most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Amen? So Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men 
and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. This is talking about God the Father. Oh, people talk a good game, right? We've got one speaker of the house that she said, oh, we don't need more Christians. We need more Democrats. I sure hope she gets saved. Because I got to tell you, you know, I, I would love it if that lady was not on the planet. But I'd rather her not be in the planet. I'd rather her be saved. Right? We, I don't want anybody not to be saved. Why is that? Because, man, I was lost. And there was nothing I could do. Right? And we have right now in our season, we have Christians that will not even talk to other Christians because one's a Democrat and one's a Republican. Get over yourself. You're the church. I I mean, really, what does Democrat and Republican mean? Just vote righteousness. Be led by the Spirit of God. And don't judge anybody for how they vote. Right? I don't want to judge anybody because you know why? I don't want to be sit in some judgment seat. Right? Guys, we have the authority in this earth. I say we just pray and let God do his thing and heal our land, right? So let's look at this. From the face of him that sits on the throne, that is God the Father. And from the wrath of the Lamb, that's Jesus. The tribulation period, this seven week, there's seven year period on the earth is the tribulation, the wrath of the lamb. The last three and a half years are called the great tribulation because it gets so bad. It says, for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Now, when this event happens, this is at the end of the tribulation period, the church will be in heaven celebrating, right? This Revelation 6, what it's describing right here is the sixth seal, which is at the end of the tribulation when Jesus is coming back in his second coming. So now let's jump back to 1 Thessalonians. You ready? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture, but isn't it, isn't it, it's becoming plain. It's so simple. It's right there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. That's the rapture of the church. Now, as we're going to see, the day does not come as a thief in the night for the church. It comes as a thief in the night for the world who's not looking, who doesn't even believe, who thinks it's ridiculous, right? For when they shall say peace, this word means security, and safety, that word means prosperity. When they shall say security, I'm secure and I'm prosperous, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Doesn't that sound like Noah and the ark, Lot? Right? And his family in Sodom. It says, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. This word escape is really interesting. It literally is the Greek word ek fugo. It means they shall not be rescued out of a place. It literally means they shall not be caused to flee away. The root word of this Greek word means to vanish. It's talking about the rapture. Isn't that interesting? But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Wherefore, see, 
The world thinks, doesn't even, they've never heard this, right? There's a lot of believers that haven't heard this, that need to, but see, we're children of the light. This is why the Lord is prompting me as your pastor to teach this right now, so that you understand it. It says, you are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Be sober. This Greek word means not moved by your emotions. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For Now look at this, for God has not appointed us to wrath. Notice we just read about the wrath of the Lamb. He's not appointed us to that. He's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now, again, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Edify one another. Build each other up, even as also you do. So now, let's jump back to Luke chapter 21. And let's read verses 34 through verse 36. Luke 21, verse 34 through verse 36. It says, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. That, that's a little vague, but that word surfeiting means laziness. Take heed to yourself, lest at any times your heart be overcharged with laziness and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that day, the rapture, come upon you unawares. Do you see how the word of God is warning us? Don't be lazy, right? There's a lot of Christians that are lazy. They, they spend no time here. What concerns me is when I hear Jesus say 50%, in the church will probably not go in the rapture. And then when George Barnum does these surveys that completely coincide with about 50% don't even believe this. And when you see that the word was with God, you can't separate God from his word. Listen, your attitude towards God is, your, is, is revealed to you in your attitude towards his word. I, I, would, I would very much say it's time to wake up. This is not optional. The word of God has to be first. Your, your walk with him has to be first. Because you don't want this day to come upon you unawares. For as a snare, look at, look at how it comes on the people of the earth. As a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. It's going to come as a snare. Guys, if I would have preached this message in the 70s or the 80s, do you know there'd be people literally coming down here, weeping, giving their heart to Christ? Now, I believe, you know, when I look around here, we're believers. But I, I mean, the, the church would be full and people would be, I need Jesus but we live in this apostasy and people hear it and then they leave and forget it and they don't change anything in their life. So you want to be aware. You want to be aware of this day. Oh, that's my prayer for our church. It says, watch ye therefore. This, this phrase, watch ye therefore in the Greek means to all, always give yourself wholly to this. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape again, to be rescued out of a place, to flee away. 
that you may escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Watch, now see, watch and pray always that you may be accounted worthy. If you have a sin consciousness, you're going to be going, okay, I've got to do this and I've got to pray and I've got to do this and I've got to pray so that God would account me worthy to escape. Does that sound like the gospel? Nope. How are we accounted worthy? When we receive Christ, we're made righteous. We're worthy. We're unaccusable. But so that the day doesn't count, catch you off guard, you have to count yourself worthy. Don't you? So God is simply just saying, guys, watch, pray. Give yourself wholly to this. Get over yourself. Make these adjustments that you know you're supposed to make. Because if you're a child of God, you have inner turmoil if your life is not there. Not condemnation, not guilt, right? No, no, there's turmoil because your spirit's going, man, I want this, but my lifestyle is something else. And guys, right now, we can't look at other Christians and, and the way the church is right now to know what a true believer looks like, which is okay, because where are we supposed to look anyway? We're supposed to look at the word. Listen, you, I'm a pastor, and, and I would say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. One of the things for me as a pastor is I'm to live my life before you as an example. However, I could mess up and fail. So, yes, I could be an example, but fix your eyes on Jesus. Because I could let you down if I get in my flesh. But Jesus will never let you down. Right? It says, these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the, children, or the Son of God. So some teach that we're going to go through the rapture, but that we will be protected from the wrath of God in the same way the children of Israel were protected from the plagues of Egypt in Goshen. I mean, could you imagine? Darkness covered Egypt. They said it was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. But literally, it, what that would have looked like is in the border between Egypt and Goshen where the children of Israel were, there was light. So it would have lit, literally for the children of Israel, they would have looked and saw a black wall. Would have been crazy. Is it, could it possibly be like that? That we'll go through the tribulation, but God will just protect us. Okay? It says... Or if you look at the word of God, and there's several examples in Daniel that I'm not going to go into today for time, but this is not the picture that the word of God gives us. Revelation chapter 13 in verse 5, I'm going to move a little faster because I, I want to get through this. Revelation 13, 5, it says, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. It's talking about the Antichrist. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months or three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in, in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. <laughs> He's going to be blaspheming you and I. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, not the church, and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. This does not sound like the, the Christians are going to go through the tribulation unharmed. Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And then look at this, And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This doesn't sound like they were not touched like in Egypt. Right? The Bible says that the Antichrist will have authority to kill the saints in the second half of the tribulation. So the question is, when will the rapture occur? And let me say this, I don't have time to go into this today. 
But in John 1, 9, it says that God lights every man that comes into the world. Philip and Emily's baby, Lucy and Alex's baby girl, right? Their, their spirit man is alive. God lights every man that comes into the world. The age of accountability was literally the age of 12 when, when a Jewish boy was 12 years old, it was called the age of accountability. They'd have a bar mitzvah for him that he would be able to make adult decisions. At the age of accountability, Paul said, sin revived and I died. So people die spiritually. I believe one of the reasons, if you watch TV, if you watch all of the pedophile stuff, if you watch all the TV I mean, Jeanette just told me about some 11-year-old girls in France that they had on the internet doing provocative, just disgusting, I mean, all this stuff. What is Satan trying to do? He's trying to lower the age of accountability because he wants them to die spiritually so he could have them. But here's the thing. Kids are not going to go to, or kids will go in the rapture of the church. God is so good. Listen, heaven is full of kids. All of the babies that are aborted, heaven is full of them. At the rapture of the church, the children will be taken out. There's one thing you'll never find in hell, and that's a child. Right? Isn't that good news? Think of the hell, though, of people who will be left here and their kids go. Right? See, I'm sorry, it couldn't be any other way because if, if I had, I mean... Asher and Micah are my grandkids. If, if they had to go through the tribulation and I was going to be raptured out, I'd be like, no, 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 Jesus, I, I, I'm going to stay with them. I'm going to stay with them and protect them all I can, right? So it's not like that. The kids go. So when will the rapture occur? Let me go through this for you. You guys doing okay? Or are you just done? Want to leave? You don't, don't care? You guys okay with this? This is really cool. So... The first advent of Jesus was when he came to this earth. The second advent of Jesus is the second coming, which is two parts, the rapture and then the second coming when he comes to this earth. There's seven feasts in Israel, okay? Four of them were in the spring. All four of them have been fulfilled. They were fulfilled in the first advent, and we'll talk about that. There's three feasts that happen in the fall. They have not been fulfilled yet. The next one to be fulfilled is the Feast of Trumpets, which is here literally in about five days. It starts in five days. Okay? So Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1 says this. Leviticus 23, verse 1 and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord. The word feasts in Hebrew is the Hebrew word moed. Concerning the moeds of the Lord. That, that Hebrew word means appointed times. Speak to them and say to them concerning the appointed times of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Convocations. This word convocation literally means a rehearsal. You could kind of say it like this. These feast days are holy dress rehearsals. Even these are my feasts. Even these are my appointed times. All seven feasts that you saw in the Old Testament is a dress rehearsal to Jesus. So that's what I want you to see here. Seven prophetic events that would happen in the future. All the Old Testament feasts. Should we read the Old Testament in, once you understand New Testament truth? But all of these feasts are literally dress rehearsals to seven prophetic events that would happen in the future. You want to talk about that a little bit? So we have the Feast of Passover. It's a spring feast. Jesus was crucified on that day. John 1.29 says this, The next day John sees Jesus coming to him and says, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger. The shepherds worked, they were priests. They were raising the sheep that would be slaughtered on the Passover. Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes. The lambs, the, these baby lambs, they would, the priests would wrap them in swaddling clothes because if they, if they fell and they marked themselves, they couldn't be a sinless, spotless lamb for the Passover. Jesus laying in that manger was literally laying among the Passover lambs. If you go three, or I'm sorry, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days during the Feast of Tabernacles, which represents Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. If you go three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, you would be right at Passover, which when he was crucified. The next one, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus was buried during this feast. He fulfilled it. The Jews could not eat leaven for seven days. We know in the New Testament, what does leaven represent? It represents sin. Seven is the number of perfection. In other words, Jesus perfectly removes sin from the human race. That feast has been fulfilled. The feast of first fruits. Jesus was resurrected on this feast. He fulfilled it in his resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Isn't the word of God amazing? Next one is the last spring feast. We just had it, what, in April, I believe. Uh, the feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost would happen 50 days after first fruits. The number 50 represents fullness and freedom. The priest, literally, they would come out and they would wave two loaves of bread before the Lord. They would wave these two loaves of bread before the Lord, representing freedom, right? They're representing freedom and they're representing fullness. It represented a jubilee. 50 was, the 50th year was a year of jubilee. It represented a jubilee to the Jews. Why two loaves of bread? It represented, the day of Pentecost represented when Jews and Gentiles obtained the fullness as the Holy Spirit was poured out. Again, that feast fulfilled, right? And then we come to the Feast of Trumpets. This year, it's 6 o'clock in Jerusalem, September 18th. will end 6 o'clock p.m. Jerusalem on September 20th. They're eight hours ahead of Omaha, so it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Friday morning will start. 10 o'clock in the morning, Sunday it will end. So if I see the second service from this earth, I guess it didn't happen this year, right? The rapture of the church is the prophetic event that I believe is going to occur during this feast. It's a two-day floating feast. Now, this is what's really cool. Do you know that the Sanhedrin in Israel went to Benjamin Netanyahu recently and the government officials in Israel and got permission for the first time in almost 2,000 years to blow the shofar on the Temple Mount. So this year was the first year the, the star of Bethlehem has appeared in almost 2,000 years. This year, so many things have happened and this year will be the first year in almost 2,000 years, that the Jewish people will blow the shofar on the Temple Mount. That's kind of interesting, right? 1 Thessalonians 4.16, I read it before, I'm going to read it again. 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead shall rise first. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. We read this earlier. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Hallelujah. Then we have to talk about in the feast of of the Feast of Trumpets, it also has several other names in the Jewish community. I want, and this is, these are reasons why I believe it could happen on this. Another name for this feast, it is called Rosh Hashanah. It's the Jewish New Year. At the rapture, all things become new. This feast was also called Yom Teruah. It means the day of the awakening blast. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself shall, have you, have you heard that before like three seconds ago? Shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. It's the awakening blast. The feast is also called, sorry, I get so stirred with this. It's hard to talk. The next name for this feast is called Yom Hadin. It is the day of judgment. Trumpets have always been associated with judgment. This is the reason why I believe it could be on this day, is this will be the day we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. When we are raptured, we are going to stand and have our works, not us, but our works will be judged. Revelation twenty two twelve, And behold, I come quickly, look at this, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work. This feast is also called Yom Hazakaron. Yom Hazakaron. It's a day of remembrance. Notice, remember, one shall be taken, one shall be left. The rapture is selective. Not everybody on the earth is going to vanish. Only those that are his. That is the day that Jesus is remembering who is his. It's another reason why I believe this day. The feast is also called the wedding day of the Messiah. I guess we don't have to explain that. The feast, this is really cool, is also called in the Jewish a culture, the day which no man knows. We read the Bible and think, well, no man will know the day or the hour. Well, that's true. It's a floating holiday. You couldn't know the day or the hour. But could Jesus have been answering that question? When are you coming back? On the day that no man knows. Right? This is the next feast to be fulfilled. After that, we have the day of atonement which is called Yom Kippur. This is another fall feast. This feast takes place 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets. This feast will be fulfilled at the second coming of Christ to this earth when he stands and establishes his kingdom on the earth at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Jesus ends sin and brings in everlasting righteousness. The last feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. This feast takes place five days after the Day of Atonement. It represents all that is perfected. The Jews would live in huts to remind them of their wilderness journey. When I was in the corporate world, I had a young man in his, in his 20s. Uh, he, he was from New York, but he was working for me. And he was an Orthodox Jew. And, and he would have to go to Lowe's and get all these materials and build a hut, and him and his wife would live out in their backyard during this feast. And he said it was really embarrassing when you'd go to Lowe's and they'd ask, well, what are you building? And he would try to explain it, and they're like, okay, that's really weird. But they did that 
to remind them of their wilderness journey. This feast lasts seven days. What's really interesting is this is the seventh feast which takes place on the seventh month and it lasts for seven days. Seven, seven, seven. This is the perfect number of God. Isn't that awesome? It represents all that is perfected. It's all done. Isn't that amazing? It's all done. When do you think that's going to take place? Probably after the millennial, right? When everything's new. The next major event, and I'll close with this, the next major event to happen in your life and in my life is the rapture of the church. The age of grace is coming to a close. The tribulation period is about to start. Time, it is time for everyone to come to Christ. I hope that that burns in your heart. I hope when you go to work, when you look at these people, that you are, it just burns in you to tell them. Listen, I gotta tell you, tell your children. Pray for an open door. Tell your children. Tell your coworkers. Tell everybody. I hope we run out of you are valuable cards out there. Invite people, but share the gospel. Listen, is it possible? I'm not a date setter or anything, but we are foolish to think we don't live in the season. And I believe, can it, is there anything that could possibly happen, needs to happen prophetically, that it couldn't be this year? No, nothing. The only thing Jesus is waiting for is the precious fruit of the earth. It's time to put the word of God first. In other words, guys, and I'm speaking to you as your pastor, it is time, it is time to get your news from the word of God and not from the TV. It's, we, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus during this time. There is greatness in you. God is in all of his wisdom, designed you for this time. All hell is going to try to get you to live for yourself, but there's an anointing, there's giftings, there's things in you that are ready. You're fearless. There's strength in you you have not seen. So I believe we're going to finish strong. Amen?